Hello everyone, it's Zach Perlstein, the Editor-in-Chief of the Boardwalk Times, and today on Boardwalk Times Multiverse of Marvel, we are doing a rankings episode. We're going to rank all of the Phase 4 films. Yes, so we are going to cover Thor Love and Thunder, Black Panther Wakanda Forever, Eternals, Black Widow, Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness, Shang-Chi, and Spider-Man No Way Home. So who's joining me today on this rankings episode? Well, let me introduce you to this incredible crew. We got a familiar voice and some new voices. He's been on this pod before, and I'm happy he's back. He's one of the hosts of the Lights Thunder Action Podcast. It's Thomas Carter Rochester. Hello there. It is I, the son of Dale, Thomas Carter Rochester. I'm back. I'm here to do stuff and do it with friends. Awesome. I'm glad to have you back, Thomas. And then we got a new voice. It's his first time on this podcast. He's also a host for the Lights Thunder Action Podcast, and he's a writer at The Direct, John Ross Bradford. Hey, man. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, I am Thomas Carter Rochester's less bearded counterpart from Lights Thunder Action. I'm super happy to be here. So thank you. You're welcome. I'm happy to have you on. And finally, we got another first timer, and he hosts the 24 Minutes of A24 podcast. It's Ethan Simi. Zach, uh, boys, I'm so stoked to be here. I feel like I don't fit in with this group because I only have two names. I'm not, I'm not, you know, the <laughs> trifecta of names. So uh feel like I'm at a disadvantage. I'm so stoked to be here, though, Zach. Thanks for having me. Yeah, you're welcome. I'm glad to have you on. And I, I feel the same way. I don't have a cool, you know, middle name. I don't, you know, yeah. we don't have the... It's a tough old... life, honestly. Yeah, I know. I know. Yeah. <clears throat> and I'm just so pumped and ready to rank. So let's just get this going. I think we'll go in a reverse order of how I introduced you guys. So Ethan can start, and then we'll go to JRB. Then we'll go to TCR, and then back to me. I'm excited for this rankings, and I'm excited to discuss. Are we ready? Yeah, so ready. I'm ready. Ethan, what film are you ranking seventh? Uh, okay, so I don't, I don't know if I'm coming in with a hot take or not. I, this is the deep, This is the uh, pressure of being like number one to to rank the worst spot. So I'm really curious how this is going to set the tone. But um, I've got to stay true to my, my heart, and uh, I am going with Thor: Love and Thunder for number number seven. Um, JRB, oh, I, I think you think differently i don't know how you guys feel anyway ethan i, I I'll, I'll let you ethan i'll let you finish we may or may not be on the exact same page here okay i really hope i'm and not thomas i love you <laughs> i hope i'm not on an island but like so i went through some of the movies last night i didn't really watch all of these things because of grad school and life and on my podcast and all all of these things right and a, and a job which i mean really the most important thing um but i did watch certain scenes so i I put on Thor Love and Thunder against my better judgment because when I saw in the theater, I was like, this is, this is not for me. doesn't work. The goats don't work. The tonal shifts don't work. Like it just wasn't for me. And I was like, you know what? Maybe, maybe I'll just give it a shot and see if it really was as bad as I remember it being. And I went to a very specific scene that I knew could be some semblance of hope. And I went to the black and white scene where they go and they, they visit Gore, the God butcher. And I was like, okay, actually this is actually kind of cool like that this looks really good like i'm loving this cast right now this is pretty cool and i watched it for about 30 seconds and gore was like get the get the axe and thor was like as soon as you go to a dentist and i was like god like that uh, that's it for me i'm done i'm checked out so <laughs> basically not, that's my really long way of saying like the biggest problem with this movie for me and why i'm putting it number seven is because taika went too far taika just got over taika he just he just ran into himself and um, I know it's Thor, 
and it was just like a lesser telling of Thor uh, Ragnarok, in my opinion. And the tonal shift just doesn't work. I want gore. I want him butchering gods. That's what I wanted. And, and it's not what I got. And so maybe that's on me for wanting something that, that wasn't going to come to fruition. But uh, I will say that the, the big plus, and this is my last point, JRB, I know I'm really keeping you on the hook here, um, is Natalie Portman is in this movie. Exceptionally good looking actress. Very good in this movie. And I love her post credit scene. So I had a little bit of hope, mm. but this is number seven for me. And it's not even close. Man, yeah. Uh, okay, so Ethan's number seven is Thor Love and Thunder. I, I, I feel like Zach set this up on purpose because we're ramping up to a very angry Thomas is what I, I imagine is going <laughs> to come so next. Sorry. Because my No, my number seven is also Thor Love and Thunder for, for really I'm echoing all the same reasons. It, it really just from like a, from an MCU standpoint and we're looking at these as products it's it there all the other ones are better like there there's more there's more thought that was put into it there's more heart and i i feel like this one was kind of just they wanted it to be the summer blockbuster that was going to hold them over until the next project that comes mm -hmm. out and it had the potential to be so much more than that but i i had so it was working against so much including the studio that was releasing it they limited it to just two hours when yeah. there was clearly you know 15 20 minutes maybe even more that should have been in this movie to help develop these new characters that we're, we're spending time with. And I felt like it was just rushed through and through. And it, you, what you said about it, not really feeling like it was a tonal shift. It just kind of felt like a slap in the face of something a little too silly. Um, I might be, you know, paraphrasing what you said, but that's how I feel about it. it I love Thor and I love all the characters in this movie, but the, the, the movie as a whole just felt very kind of, thrown together and and rushed through so um it might also be because i had such high hopes for it especially with gore the god butcher um and i can see thomas is just he's just dying he's, to, he's prepping to dude he's firing up um <laughs> but uh <laughs> uh thor love and thunder i i really wanted more from it and maybe that's why i have it so low but it's also my number seven you want to talk about a movie being thrown together? Let's talk about Multiverse of Madness and why it's the worst movie <laughs> in, in all honesty, it's not the worst movie. I, I don't think there is comparable. Like for me, I don't like scary. It took me till my third watch to go, oh, that's what they're doing. And I went from hating it on my first watch to being like, all right, it's just not for me. It really isn't for me. I wish Doctor Strange were longer. I mean, obviously, I wish Thor were longer. Give me the 18-hour cut that I know exists. I'll take every release, joke. Release the Taika cut. <laughs> Give me the Taika <laughs> cut. The Taika cut. There it is. That's what I'm looking for. Hey, but yo. Multiverse of Madness, it has bright spots. But, like, overall, in my opinion, it should be called if, – if it had a different name, I might have it higher in my ranks, and that would be the Scarlet Witch in the Multiverse of Madness. Because it's not a Doctor Strange movie. And I kind of forget that while watching it. I'm just like, oh, look, the MacGuffin, Doctor Strange. Oh, look, the MacGuffin, Doctor Strange. Oh, it's, oh, yes, give me more Wanda, please. Um, and it's just fast. It cuts together. I will say the pacing of it works out better than Love and Thunder. But that's just because it's a Sam Raimi gig. And he just throws so much at you. Um, I, I, positives, they kill all the important characters I cared about really fast in that one scene. Um, <laughs> hey, remember John Krasinski? Well, he's spaghetti now. Enjoy that. And I do love, though, that she exploded two brains back to back. 
Like that's how she makes that intro there. Explodes, well, leads to the explosion of Black Bolt, right? And then literally pops Reed Richards' brain like a damn piece of bubble gum. So it was very, uh, very fun to watch that. But just like, nah, it's not for me. You know, I'm not going to pretend like it's terrible or like it's great. It's just, it's just not for me. It's fair. Yeah. Am I am I back to are you going, Zach? Are you gonna yeah, rank it number seven? I'm, I'm going number seven. Right, let's and, go. And really, it's like this film I think is underrated in a lot of ways, but it's like I had to rank this seventh because it was just not just not for me. And I feel like it had all the right like ingredients to be like a really good MCU film, but just didn't click for me. It's eternals. Boo. I, I, I this rage. is no good. Yeah, I, I, I knew <laughs> I knew there was gonna be some, you know, controversy here, but like hey. I mean, there's a lot of positives, but just some of these things just didn't click all the way. I love the ending, though. thought the ending was pretty sharp. That's fair. Look, I that's that's totally fair. I think it's interesting that, uh, Thomas, you you mentioned Multiverse of Madness, and Jeremy, you were specific, which is a, is a big call-out point for uh, Love and Thunder is that it was kept under two hours, right? So Thor Love and Thunder was an hour and 59 minutes, and Multiverse of Madness was two hours and six minutes. There's literally a seven-minute difference in storytelling time. And it's really intriguing to me that Marvel as a, a studio chose to cut Taika, but let Raimi just kind of like do the runtime that he wanted, even though it was a little shorter and a little over two hours. Like if you gave me seven more minutes of Gore the God Butcher, like literally if you gave me seven minutes of Gore the God Butcher, literally butchering gods and then elaborating on him going kind of like his end destination at the very end, right? and his his daughter, if I remember correctly, and like the entire emotional arc of him. If you gave me seven more minutes, I think Thor Love and Thunder is a much stronger film and we just didn't get it. And I think it's really intriguing that like that that was the hard cut point for Marvel Studios. So I don't know. Number six, uh, I'm actually going to go with Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. Um, So this, this movie, I think it has a lot of impressive qualities i like the raimi nature and i think there were two phase four projects where you could really feel the director this being one of them obviously raimi has a massive kind of um army of darkness touch over this film and then i think that the second is eternals i am i'm gonna be honest i'm a long way from talking about eternals so we'll get to that when we get to that um and i think <laughs> chloe, i think i think chloe Zhao does something incredible with that film um but i, I like that aspect the biggest um, thing that doesn't work for me about Multiverse of Madness is America Chavez. Her herself is kind of like a MacGuffin. And I think she has a lot of really imperative qualities to where the MCU is headed. But we got Miss Marvel. We, we got an entire show about Miss Marvel. And she feels fleshed out. And we know her family. And we know her motives. And we know how she feels about acquiring these powers. And America Chavez, like, in the final act, is like okay, like, see you later. Like, you just battled Wanda, and now we'll just, like, talk to you later. Like, I, I it didn't really click for me um, in, in that aspect. Um, and I just felt like there was a, a pretty weak emotional connection in terms of Doctor Strange. I wanted a little bit more impact and power between him and uh, Christine Palmer. And I just felt like the multiverse effect was kind of a, a little bit lackluster when it could have been really, really powerful. Uh, but I, I love the visuals. I think Zombie Strange is really cool. I think they did a lot of fun stuff um, that just didn't necessarily like come together as a whole for me. This, to me, is definitely more of a movie of like 
of like YouTube clips where you're like, oh, that was like a cool four minutes. Like I kind of want to rewatch that again. Or like that I really like the music fight scene. I thought that was really oh. innovative. And and even if some people think it's cheesy or maybe doesn't fit the pace or the tone of the film, I think it's something that Sam Raimi that was dope. And like I think Kevin Feige let him run with it. And that's pretty cool to me. So like rewatching that scene or something of that nature, but that is number six for me. Man, I just as you're gonna have Eternals much later on, I I'm going to be talking about Multiverse of Madness towards the end of this, and uh, I'll have some counterpoints. This is um, fascinating. This could not now, have gone any crazier. Yeah, no, and and and, and to that point, I'll I'll double on to it. Um, my number six is going to be Eternals. God, um, why, <laughs> why? Let me just so, ask okay. you, JRB, what did okay. Eternals do to you? I I I I came with notes. So good. Th- this movie. You know how I am about runtimes. If it's too short, I'm mad. If it's too long, I'm mad, right? You got to find that sweet spot. There's, there's I, no place like huh? at dinner time. I'm not going to tell you where that sweet spot is. You have to figure it out. But so Eternals is a near three-hour origin story. That's a risk in itself, right? But I, in my opinion, it's much worse when you feel just as lost at the end of the film as you did when it started. And that's what I feel like we had here. I, I, I'll admit, it's pretty gangster to tell an origin story and then at the end, you know, say like, oh, all of that was a lie. And then you leave us in the darks even after that, like pretty gangster, I'll give it that. But let me give it a couple pros. The action was super fun. I think for the amount of characters in the movie, the characters were pretty well fleshed out. Like that, that's impressive that you were able to introduce almost a dozen characters and get us to get to know and even like, you know, most of them. Um, but I feel like, all the forced cameos and references at the end of the film were really the talking points coming out of it. And now I don't see, you know, much conversation around it. And that's because I don't really follow, you know, this film very closely that I, now that I've seen it. But I feel like everything that was crammed into the end of the film with the voice of Blade and the Black Knight implications and you know, Thanos' brother Eros showing up out of nowhere. And, oh my God, the Patton Oswalt elf dwarf troll whatever give, that was i will give you that i will let you run oh my that. gosh dude that was just the icing on the cake i was like whoa what are we watching but um yeah it just felt like it took so long to get anywhere and then by the time you got somewhere it's like well never mind you know and now we're just gonna leave you in mystery until we're deciding to to do the next one so my final gripe is that there's a giant effing statue of a a, a celestial that was going to explode the planet just chilling in the Indian Ocean. And I think it's maybe had one throwaway line since then. And I don't even know if it was a spoken line. I think it might've been a a news ticker on a a screen somewhere. So like, there's so much in that movie. The scope is so grand. The scale is so large. Yet you don't get the human perspective other than Black Knight, which is shown for maybe a few minutes. And we're left with, I feel like a dozen more questions than we started with. So Eternals, I'm sure retroactively it'll get better, but for now it's it's really not one that that I rank very high. Can I have a I have a re, this is a real question. I'm not trying to like stoke the fire or anything. Okay. I I am genuinely curious about your take on this or Zach or TCR yours as well. So you mentioned the runtime, which obviously is a very key thing of Eternals. Like when it came out, that was the thing. People were like two and a half hours. Like this is yeah. unreal. <laughs> this is unheard of, mm-hmm. right? Two hours and thirty six minutes for Eternals as an origin story black panther wakanda forever two hours and 41 minutes it is five Mm -hmm. minutes longer than eternals however it is not an origin story it is a second story 
a, 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 a retelling, a re-entering of Wakanda and that world and that lore. When I guess you, you personally, JRB, if you're getting a follow-up story, are you open to like a, like a longer runtime? Is that, is like the origin story kind of like, Hey, let's keep it a little more compact. Is that kind of how you view it? Just cause I'm just curious. Cause they're very similar in runtime. No, that's a great question. I, I think, you know, with Black Panther, I think a lot of the reason they were allowed such a long runtime is partially the circumstance of having to to address and process, you know, the the loss of, of Chadwick Boseman, while also, mm-hmm. you know, following up on the state of, you know, the nation of Wakanda and introducing yet another parallel nation in Talokan. So, like, there's so much that movie had to introduce that, like, uh, yeah, it's longer, but in my opinion like I came out of that movie the way I came out of Black Panther wasn't going like that was a long movie whereas Eternals I was like man that was long and I feel like a lot of that's because Eternals is a ton of exposition it's a Mm. lot of building and explaining and introducing whereas Black Panther you get to go in with a ton of the ideas already established and they take advantage of that and start building upon it so like Eternals felt a lot longer because you're learning so many different things and um, like I said, like my main thing was that half the things you learn, you, you get the rug pulled out from under you and you're like, oh, wait, never mind. You still don't really understand the origin of these guys. So like the mystery is cool, but at the same time, like it's not enjoyable for me. You know, that that's not something that I enjoy sitting and watching right now. Fair. I don't T- have TCR. Anything. If you put, if you put Eternals, I walk from this pod right now. I guess you're walking from the pod. because <laughs> Oh, is my God. Um, no. <laughs> honestly man you so, let me first, go that whole first, time thinking i was on an island oh my god no, man, I, lose, no. I lose the three films pod auction draft on twitter and then you lay this on me in the same day oh, listen, let me put it like this zach we're not alone my top three is my top three like it's easily it was the first three i was like boom it's this order it's these movies and these are the reasons why my bottom four is well, I mean, Multiverse of Madness was always at last. Like, it is my least favorite of all the things we got out of Phase 4. Like, literally the bottom of the bottom for me. So, after that, it's like, okay, I guess the best way to put it is rewatchability. But it's not that Eternals isn't rewatchable. And it's not that I don't enjoy Eternals. It's that I enjoy more of the other movies more. Now, Eternals... Like when I, JRB was just sitting here talking and I'm like, do I move Eternals up? Cause like, I really did love Eternals. Like I love that movie. It is fun. It is so different. And I like different as the guy who loved Thor, Love and Thunder. It's so different. I loved it. Multiverse of Madness. It's so different, but it's different in say a horror way that I don't personally have a love for. So there's like that difference in the, the key differences there eternals though like you're talking about all the mystery and i'm like yeah i want more of that like give me some of that eternals has uh, eternals is that i'll say it it's eternals is age of ultron it's it's that movie that is going to in a couple years maybe even two weeks from time of recording is going to be elevated so much higher because your big bad boy daddy kang is going to come through and be like by the way i killed fastos right like that's right. I, I'll look at Ethan's face. He's like, oh, my God, not my guy. That's my guy. That's Oscar nominee guy right there. Come yeah, on. Oh, dude. Uh, he is a tour de force in everything he does. It's Miles Morales' dad. Like, let's go. He's 
amazing. And the fact that they, they did so much in Eternals and I sat back and let everybody have their discourse, but I'm like, you guys don't see what I see. And I see 10 years down the line of where Eternals just laid. Eternals laid down the monster universe. Eternals laid down Celestials and the space universe. Because of what Phaestos is doing with his ability to design technology in the way he does leads to Kang and time travel. Then you've also got the fact that these robot sentient things that are kind of going on here is like, oh, A, let's not forget that I just mentioned Ultron. He's got to come back at some point, right? We've seen that his body parts still lie around. All it takes is one dumb kid plugging it into a USB drive and boom, Ultron's back alive all over the place. You give him Eternals technology because they are technology. No telling what could happen. So there's like so many different things that they are just like, here's this. And Kevin Feige, they've talked about the scroll that is the timeline of what he has always seen the MCU being. And it's like, oh, a million years back in the past, it starts with Thor. You're damn right it does. It's called Odin and creating the universe, possibly even, you know, being a part of that big bang. No, I'm saying uh, that sounded more sexual than I meant it, but more of like he made a deal with the Celestials. That's my bad, everyone. My bad. It's a PG show. Uh, but uh, then they're like, oh, like then there's the Eternals and the Celestials. And he didn't want to do an Eternals movie, he says, but he always had them in there featured somewhere. And you see that because of how much they incorporated it here, as well as the Celestials. And now JRB is talking about that exposition. Some people hate that exposition dump of like, it's all been a lie. I love that. That's one of, I mean, listen, that is like the second best song on the soundtrack, the score. It's six minutes, 20 something seconds, if I'm not mistaken. And it's glorious. But in that, you are seeing that like, A, it, it's giving you scope of uh, power levels. Like, Oh, so like Thanos isn't actually as big as we thought he was. He wasn't like this god. No, he was a couple tiers down there with the Eternals, possibly, probably, actually born of of copulation, I believe might be the PG term here, um, as opposed to being created in a lab. Uh, so it's like, okay, cool. That's where Thanos is. But now we're getting to Kang. Well, where does Kang fit in this? Well, it seems that Arishim is moving on a linear timeline and he doesn't have the ability to jump around. So that instantaneously, we just saw how big Arishim is. Kang is bigger. And then you want to move bigger than that. Galactus. Galactus eats worlds. Galactus in this MCU might eat multiverses. So then you're starting to see the power scale of where we can fluctuate in between. And down at the bottom, these little ants on this blue rock called Earth. That's us. And so it kind of gives you the macrocosm and microcosm of the MCU that isn't going to make sense. I genuinely don't think until after X-Men come out. And wow. that's why that it's number six. A lot. That's fair. That's a lot. <laughs> that's fair. Yeah, right. So, that, that's a crazy amount of input that you have for this movie to, for, to have it so far down on your list. I, I'm, I think I'm more curious of what went wrong for you at this point. Um, rewatchability. It, at this point, I yeah. guess it'd be the the time to watch it. And like, I got to be yeah. in the mood as opposed to my next two. 
and then again i've got like there's tier list it's s and then everything else um, so you'll you'll see why yes sir do, do you personally think eternals came out in the wrong phase because yes. i Ooh. i no. i Ooh. am of the of the mindset Phase four had to have a scapegoat. Phase four is not the strongest phase by a long shot, but it had to have a scapegoat. It had to have a sacrificial lamb. And Eternals was that sacrificial lamb mm -hmm. to okay. set up that scope, right? And so you have to do it somewhere. I'm curious if like where do you put it? If if like if this story won't make sense until six or seven years down the road, oh. should you have waited? I'm not saying the story won't make sense. I'm saying the things they are building on the sides mm. won't make sense. In gotcha. the same way that you don't recognize Civil War is being built in Age of Ultron. It's right, like, oh, that's right, like right. a Civil War tease. And then it's like, oh, no, that really was a Civil War tease. And then things of that nature. Um, like the story itself, to me, makes sense. They They thought they were this. They found out they were this. And then all of a sudden, they fought each other and one guy flew into the sun. And then they get punished by daddy. I feel I, That's I a really feel... good summation, good honestly. That was a good yeah. recap. <laughs> Very good. Yeah. Zach, think, what about you? I think Eternals is going to actually age better, but I agree with you, Thomas, on the whole rewatchability aspect. I think that's the one thing that hurts it the most. But I'm curious to see what happens in phase five and phase six and see when we get more Eternals type content, how things change and how people, when they go to revisit mm -hmm. the film, what changes. But my number six, this film I feel like is rewatchable. The next film I'm about to say, and I just think it got screwed because of the timing of its release. It's Black Widow. I think yes, film just got screwed mm -hmm. because of COVID, got screwed because of Disney Plus premiere access. And I really think if it would have came out at a normal time, it would have been a lot bigger. A lot more people would have talked about it. But I think the outside world kind of screwed it up this time. But I love Yelena Belova. Florence Pugh's awesome. Can't wait to see her in all the upcoming MCU titles. And I just think that Black Widow just did, just did a good job as a feature for Natasha Romanoff. Mm -hmm. And I still can't get that Smells Like Teen Spirit cover out of my head. I listened oh, to that. Man. All the time, all the time. It makes my skin crawl. It's, it's so un, unnerving, but it's it, so good. It it pumps me up, though. I remember watching that in the theater, and this was like the first MCU film back uh, after the long break. And I just remember watching that, and that song kicks in, and you're like, we're back. Like, that's mm -hmm. how it felt. It was just so exciting. So I think I might have a soft spot for Black Widow, but compared to some of the other films on my list, I, I had to rank it six, though. But hey. I think all in all for a prequel and where it got situated and due to the outside circumstances still ended up being a pretty good film. And if this film was on TNT in a couple of years, I definitely sit and rewatch it. Totally rewatchable. Good old fashioned rewatchable style. Yeah, there. That's yeah. pretty good. Yeah. I respect that. I think, uh, I mean, you mentioned like outside forces, black widow is by far and away the single film with the most negative connotations when it comes to outside forces. Like, let's not forget Scarlett Johansson like sued the studio and was like, get, yep. pay me my money. And that was like a mm. massive deal that yeah. people, the discourse were like, Oh no, like, what do we, like, what do we do? I don't know who to pick. Like, do I, do I support this movie or do I support ScarJo or like what is going on? So I think that's uh, interesting. Okay. Mm -hmm. I'm up for five. Yep. It's number okay. five now. Yeah. We're getting into some heavy, heavy territory. Cause the, even though there's only seven, I, I think we're getting into some, some, Dicey territory here. Yeah, yeah, some crossroads where a lot of 
good things are are in these films and they're not necessarily bad per se and i feel like that i i I can't wait to see your guys reaction i feel like this is another hot take i'm going with shang chi and the legend of the ten rings is uh oh gosh i feel kind of bad but look here's the deal (laughs) sorry we all dumped on eternals for the last 15 minutes yeah you know what and that's the reality i had to live in so you're gonna get you're gonna give me my glory here. yeah it's okay but shang-chi will be fair number five um (laughs) so i like it it's grounded it's a new character it's an origin story it's a lot of fun i think they're i think simu lu has has the risk he's got the charisma and he is just really fun to watch on screen i mean i know the um the kind of like the the nightclub ish battle that they're doing like outside of the kind of the uh building and like the scaffolding and all of that is really cool really innovative and i think there's a lot of pluses uh tony leung is is in this movie like let's not forget like he is in an mcu film and he is probably maybe one of if not the the best villain of the phase like in terms of movies and films um he is excellent in this film and and the core theme of this being you know that kind of generational discourse and de- generational trauma i think is always a smart way to to play um especially in this situation and i think there are a lot of pluses but the thing that does it for me is not necessarily the entire entire final act but like when we when we get to the the big final battle right and and we're kind of doing a lot with dragons um it is it is a lot of cgi and it is marvel just going back to their roots and saying like we have vfx artists can we make some cool stuff and it's like yeah it's like dragons are cool that's pretty sweet but like you know what's way cooler seeing simu lu punch somebody like with no cgi (laughs) with no vfx like that just is cooler to me personally and especially that fight at the end with the 10 rings like some incredible camera work and and um some really good stuff in that in that moment and i just prefer that so much more to like the dragons of everything so that huge cgi dump at the end is just like not for me and and when i think about this movie we, we've been talking about rewatchability when i think about shang chi i'm just like ah man i have to i'm gonna get to the end and i'm just like not gonna have a good time because like that's just not a battle that i enjoy um you know and that kind of like docks it for me i think overall hmm. um I, I i do think it has a lot of good unique elements to the like to the phase and i think there's a lot of important things and it's great introduction obviously for for shang chi and for the ten rings which are no doubt going to be a massive MacGuffin over the next two phases um, that are going to play a very, very crucial role role in how we, how we deal with Kang, I, I, I would assume. So, um, but yeah, number five for me, Shang-Chi. But we are getting a spinoff, which is exciting. And you know what, Destin Daniel Creighton, you do your thing, man. You make some cool stuff. Yeah, he's I know he's like... listening, so I had to personally, you know, just let him know. It's all good. No <laughs> hard. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, man. No, I, I, Shang-Chi is, is something that we'll get into later. I, it's honestly, it's not that much higher on this list for me. So I, I, I get where you're coming from. It's a really solid origin story, but it's just, it's not at that level of like the, the MCU cream of the crop. But, um, I think my number five is going to be Black Widow for, for the reasons that have already been mentioned. It, it, and we saw, you know, a good 60% of this movie just in the marketing. You know, it, it, it was a movie that was marketed to us for like what felt like two years. Um, it might have actually been two years, honestly. Uh, but 
uh, it, it was just, it felt like we were just beating everyone over the head with the same thing. And then like with Taskmaster being what it was, you know, that was one of my biggest selling points for that movie. And I felt like, you know, that fell really flat for me and a, a lot of, you know, the comic fans, but um, it's just Mission Impossible with Scarlett Johansson, you know? And and like you said, it's Isn't an amazing Isn't that awesome rewatch. though? Like Mission yeah, Impossible? Right, yeah. I mean, we're, talking, we're going on like eight and nine movies, bro. Are you getting How many nine? You want right. nine Black Widow watched, movies? Ethan? How many of you watched, Ethan? I've seen one, and that's all I need to see, brother. <laughs> that's all I need to know. Mission Impossible, Breaking Rocks, and I can't oh. wait for Dead Reckoning Part 1. Oh, Let's man. go. Tom Cruise. Oh, I love that. Oh, oh, I can't wait for you to watch the rest of those movies. That was, but, a, that was um, just a great analogy. I had to jump in. It literally is that, though. Like, if you look at, like, just the way this movie is formatted, the way it's laid out, the plot line it follows, and, and even, like, the, the supporting cast, which, by the way, arguably perhaps the best supporting cast in phase four um that like that's probably the movie's biggest highlight for me is the supporting cast um minus taskmaster but uh i it, it's just mission impossible with scarjo um it's fun but it's super familiar you know so it's really fun to rewatch. it's a super fun watch in general um but it, it does seem a little bit generic i'm going to also say black widow um and i've got nothing against the movie uh it is the you knew everything about it uh taskmaster isn't tony masters i actually really love what they did like they took a moniker a name brand right a a legacy character if you will with taskmaster and decided let's do something different like let's not make it tony masters a former shield agent beep bop boop like i would have actually probably been like the generic thing that you expect from marvel studios like we've talked about certain things ethan expects uh you know vfx dragon fights like ah, oh, and then bummer i expect poorly executed comic like bringing overness at times like like we try to translate it in our own way but like we just kind of kerfluffle it a little bit like ultron not made by hank pym kind of works out though like i was annoyed going in that hank pym wasn't a part of it the way they do it Okay, sure. Then there's some other things, usually around Shield, uh, or or branching out of Shield, where things are just like, yeah, it could have been better. In this case, they just said, forget the Shield, and uh, instead, just we're gonna <laughs> take Drakov's daughter, a line in a movie, and turn it into an entire antagonist line. And I love that. I really do love that. And I love the fact that she's coming back in is i believe it's being called black widow 2 which is thunderbolts and i've been championing that movie for oh, i don't know it feels like a decade at this point but uh i like liam crowley from comicbook.com he Shout calls it he calls it bucky 8 and i love that you know we're gonna call it bucky 8 thunderbolts <laughs> uh i'm super excited to see where these characters from this movie go in thunderbolts and honestly jrb you might be onto something with the best supporting cast. We'll see where that goes as we go through the rest of my rankings. Cause I think the supporting cast is solid going through and I would say eternals, but eternals is like, they're all main characters. They all have main character <laughs> energy. They all need yeah. their own singular spinoff movies. So the supporting cast in that is like Dane Whitman and Erisham. And that's kind of it. <laughs> Shout out Dane Whitman, though, because he's going to have to eventually show back up with uh, it's the Ebony Blade. The Ebony yeah. Blade. Yeah. Yeah. It'll be wild when it finally happens. Hopefully sooner than later. 
probably later than sooner. <laughs> yeah, her, yeah, yeah. Where are the Eternals days. on like the Phase Five and Six schedule? Are they anywhere? They you know what, like Jeremy? Doesn't it doesn't even matter, man? Because I, I want to know. You can't they're leave awesome. me hanging like this, and then they're just like, maybe we'll tell you more later. Oh, you mean like when Henry are we Cavill do Superman? It, that's too soon. You oh, know what man. I think? You know what I think is so fascinating. You guys bring this up. I feel like it's a good time to mention. It. I'll definitely mention it later. But like, I feel like Marvel Phase Four was the phase. <clears throat> excuse me, where they Harry Styles, perfect example, where they were like. We're going to put this guy in a contract. We're going to toss him in the movie for 90 seconds. And we're going to make him someone important. But we don't know if we'll ever come back to him. Like, we'll give him enough for people to be like, That was every oh, that, post-credit that could scene be something in Phase cool. 4. Exactly. And so I think on the outset of COVID, I think it was a, a very large paranoia as the movie industry tries to get back to what it was that Marvel Studios would lose out on those select contracts that people would choose more passion projects more artistic films more um, different blockbusters outside of marvel studios that they needed to lock these people down for a potential reoccurrence in the future and uh i, I don't think it's very good we'll see how it plays out but anyway not to get too far off off uh, on a tangent but i i always think that's a very interesting thing that marvel studios has done as of late yeah every time I... you mention eternals man it's it, ethan's gonna come back swinging it's okay. I always got when something he to gets, say. When he gets to his number two film, we're going to hear everything we need to hear about it. Official <laughs> prediction. But oh, Zach, uh, I'm intrigued. Kind. I'm intrigued to see where you go with number five because, I mean, remove Love and Thunder and Multiverse of Madness, and me, you, and JRB are kind of like on a we're on a ride together. Like we're kind of on the same paths here. We are, and I think this is where we. I don't think it's a diverge, but I'm for number five. I am going with Thor: Love and Thunder. Okay. Yeah. In how expected. My biggest. <laughs> I, I felt the disappointment in your voice. I'm so sorry. So sorry, man. But it's similar to Ethan's point, where it's like if we get seven minutes of Gore the God Butcher just killing gods, mm. it changes the film. And I know they had visual effects issues. In there was probably some just issues going on where they couldn't do it. I want to see the, the Taika cut, but I really did like Love and Thunder from the music and the characters are great. I felt like everything was going for it. Didn't really like that the Guardians of the Galaxy were just used in the trailers. I don't coming back and looking at it. I don't really understand why we even had the Guardians in there if it was only going to be for that short of a period of time. But I feel like Thor Love and Thunder had everything going for it and then it was just too short. I think that was my biggest issue where it's like you had all these great ideas, all these great moments, perhaps, but it just needed to be a little bit longer. And I'm shocked because like Thor is one of your marquee franchise players. And it just feels so weird that this was the film that Marvel Studios decided, hey, let's make sure this one's under two hours because it's like it's a Thor film. People want to see Thor like people want to see these characters. So. That's my gripes with it, and that's why it ends up at five for me is because of the Guardians bait and switch and then not seeing enough gore and then it just not being long enough for me. Yeah, I think the I am just so interested on what the behind the scenes is between Taika and Kevin Feige. Like, I just don't. Me too. I just want to know what that relationship is like because you know Thor Love and Thunder is, is your summer blockbuster. You know that's coming out. So I don't know at what point in the creation of this project, you have that conversation. You're like, look, you got to put 25 minutes on the cutting room floor. Like that just doesn't make sense to me. Wouldn't you start out with that when you be like, look, we're shooting for 159. 
here's what we're trying to do. Here's where we want the box office. Like, I just don't understand. Um, which I, I don't know. I don't know if we'll ever understand. So, um, I'm, I'm curious. I think on that topic specifically, I want to remind everybody Chapek was involved. Like was was king oh, at that point. Yeah. And after it was, if I'm not mistaken, it was Eternals, Multiverse of Madness, Love and Thunder was the the sequence of films, right? Hmm. Yeah. Followed up a full yeah. year later with Wakanda Forever. Well, we've got this really long film and this really long film. We need to cut these down in the middle. I don't think we're gonna be able to put butts yeah. in seats. Very Chapek move. Yeah. Uh, I'm looking at you, Pixar. Um, uh, Pixar, are you there? Are you alive? Did Chapek kill you? Probably, yeah, because he made some sketchy decisions. Um, and I feel like that would be more of a Disney, a Disney motif, right? Because um, we've heard from Multiverse of Badness, which I see is still not on the list for two people here, uh, that it was way crazier than we actually got, and Michael mm -hmm. Waldron toned it down and made it more palatable yeah as i've been under as i've understood it that's that's the thing with multiverse madness you had michael waldron the guy from the guy from loki right like the like he knows how to write and he can write characters very very well and i just think phase four really speaks to uh an issue again of of top-down management of not letting director and this is this is a, a moot point at this point you know because everybody talks about it all the time but like it's the, the machine, right? You you put you put someone like Ryan Coogler in the machine, and you're gonna you're still gonna get the machine. And and I'll talk about that when I talk about Black Panther. But it's like you can never escape what the studio is really overriding you to do. Um, so I think that is a bummer. Um, are we on fours? We're going for fours. Zach, you got one thing to say? And just one more thing to say on Thor: Love and Thunder. I think it comes down to screenplay as well. Where it's, I know Taika and his writing partner, they did Love and Thunder's screenplay. And I just think maybe if that would have been a bit tighter or more mm -hmm. fleshed out, things would have went a lot better. But there, there was definitely a cutting room floor situation there because it's like we didn't even see Jane Foster transform. And that was something that was shot. That was something that was filmed. And another wrinkle, Thomas, you brought up Bob Chapek. And he was the former Disney CEO. His son actually works at Marvel Studios. He was a producer on Thor Love and Thunder, Brian Chapek. Oh. So his son was one of the producers on Love and Thunder. And Brian Chapek, despite his dad being fired as CEO of Disney, he's still going to be a producer on Bucky 8, the Thunderbolts. Interesting. Fascinating. Collusion. Let's get that in there. You know, very, very interesting. <laughs> All right, I'll kick off uh, our fours here. I am going to go with Black Widow for number four. Part of the reason that I have it a little higher on the list is because it was that first theatrical experience back. It was that first time when you see that intro and you hear that song, and I remember thinking like, this is. It was like was Marvel always this dark? Because it was kind of dark. Like it was kind of a a very adult introduction back into the MCU. And I love that style that Scarlett Johansson brings to that character, regardless of all the outside outside you know um, kind of things that were impacting it. Um, I do I do like the grounded nature of the story. I love Drakov, and I think that's a really interesting kind of wrinkle into her story. I don't know where all of the trailer footage went from the red room like there was tons of cool training stuff in all the trailers and we just like didn't really get any of it in the movie um speaking of which like julie julie uh, uh julie delpy was like in the trailers and i was like 
oh my God, Julie Delpy, like she's in this movie, never showed up, just like didn't exist. So again, I think very um, tough circumstances in a, in a kind of a post-COVID world. Um, but I think there's something fun about Black Widow. It's got that Mission Impossible vibe to it, which does make it a little bit more rewatchable. Obviously, Yelena Belova is incredible and is just unbelievable that we have Florence Pugh in the MCU and we've got her locked as like a major character going into Thunderbolts. Like that is crazy to me. She is making sublime films like left and right. So that's really cool. I like Rachel Weiss. I think that's just awesome. And uh, I think there's specifically the dinner table scene again is like, oh. I am a fan of that exposition. I'm a fan of that emotional core. When you put something on the line and you make our characters and our heroes deal with that i think it's i think it's very very important and that's kind of a common common uh thing that all of my top fours have and and i think the bottoms are kind of lacking um the cgi pretty dang bad in the final act i will say it's <laughs> not ideal we all know that it's not great um but i but i think the, the the core of the movie is there and i do think it's on the better side of the phase you'd think that I like with that. as long as that movie sat on the shelf they, they would have figured, figured it out, they figured out the it. vfx a little bit you know? someone would have taken a look and been like maybe yeah. we ought to touch that up a little bit yeah no but, it, the the yeah. point about the cgi is is a uh, a good transition because that that's the reason i have black widow in that number five spot and i have shang chi and legend of the ten rings in number four instead so mm -hmm. you and i have them flip-flopped and I think the CGI might be the biggest reason because with Shang-Chi, so much of that story was reliant upon the post-production work, was reliant upon all the computer-generated imagery that we got to see. And it, and for the most part, it worked really, really well. Um, you were introducing new creatures, a whole new like Narnia-esque type realm, and none of it felt super off or uh, like uh, too you know, uh, um, animated or anything like that. Um, uh, so I really appreciated that about Shang-Chi because as grounded as it was in the first half, when it did get super crazy and mythical and magical, um, it, it didn't lose me as much because it still felt real because they put that time and effort into it. Um, and so I really appreciated that about Shang-Chi, but then also, you know, we, we were talking about, you know, taking risks. I think this is one that they hit more on the nose, you know, having an all Asian cast basing it on a character that's widely unknown by, you know, the, the general audiences. Um, I mean, I had, I had seen Shang-Chi in maybe one comic book growing up and I didn't even realize it was him until I went back and read it again. So like, this was a real step outside the box for them. And with how well it was received for being, you know, an origin story that was very loosely connected to everything else they'd done so far. Um, especially you know coming so close to eternals as well there was that whole period there where they were just trying new things and this was one that resonated with me a bit more um it it, it i think a lot of it had to do with the you know the constant action that it had you know there was always something happening in this movie and uh it, you know there were parts of it that really made it feel like it was you know the felt like the jackie chan movies and the the bruce lee's that i, that I watched growing up so um, some of it was nostalgic as well, but one thing I think they nailed was just the character of Sean and just getting Simu Liu to shine in that role, especially opposite of Aquafina. Um, the chemistry in that between them was awesome. And uh, really the only negatives I have towards it are, are it did get a little too silly at certain points for me. 
Um, I know it was supposed to be lighthearted, you know, MCU always is, you know, but uh, the combination of, of, you know, Kung Fu and car chases and dragons in different dimensions, um, you know, Wong belting out Hotel California was just a little too much for me, but I still loved it. It still made me laugh, but like that, those instances may kind of pushed it over the edge a little bit, but um, Shang-Chi's a great time, totally rewatchable. I turn it on all the time. Um, love that Disney Plus still has it in the IMAX format. I think I've only watched it in the standard ratio once. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, the, this this movie was definitely one of the, the stronger points of phase four for me. I I agree. And there's a lot of stuff that I enjoy about Shang-Chi. We'll, we'll talk about that here in the future. But here at my Ooh. four pick, I'm going to go with the only fourth movie in a franchise and it is thor love and thunder this is where my entire my entire this is the pivot like this is the hard pivot this is only as high as it is because a it's my favorite director taika waititi everything he touches reservation dogs like touches as a producer it's gold have you seen reservation dogs it is elite storytelling on hulu it's a series set inside a native american reservation teenagers like all the emotions that you feel as a teenager, you feel in this show. One episode's hilarious, makes no sense. Then you go and one's making you ball your eyes out because their friend's dead. And then the next one is like, hey, love, we love love. And it's like, dude, wild. Anyways, back to the plot. Oh, also, our flag means death is way weirder than Thor yeah. Love and Thunder. And I love it. So coming into Thor Love and Thunder, I was like, I wonder if he's going to get as weird as our flag means death. No but almost and i'm i'm here for it i love taika and what they do you know specifically speaking my lowest points on this movie are it needs more time and it needs less guardians i'd be happy if they weren't there people are like i wanted more guardians i'm like guardians they have their own great trilogy with james gunn thor's had one great movie with his name on it and now we got i mean hulk was in it so there's that now we got to bring in the guardians screw the guardians they got their own thing to go worry about they're gonna go die anyway whatever so (laughs) (laughs) get ready to cry kids uh but with thor what they do with you know odin's son specifically where you guys are like, oh, a lot of people complain. It's too jokey. Why would Thor be like this? Beep, bop, boop. I'm a robot. Well, some people like to feel their emotions and like to go through it. And other people, Thor, myself, mm. tend to bury it. And we saw what he did, you know, in the five-year gap. He drank and ate his feelings. Mm-hmm. Then he saw his mom and he remembered, I'm worthy. So now his entire worth as a human being, well, as a, as a being in general, is to save people, to save the world, to help people. That's all he has. He has nothing in his life. And so he keeps people at arm's length, as he says, but that is genuinely because he's so afraid to lose anybody. He also totally has a thing for Star-Lord. I'm just going to say that here and now. That's the Taika coming in. But he, uh, like he's, he's got everyone at arm's length, and the entire plot for Thor, the character art for Thor in this movie is to open up your heart and actually let someone in. And that's through the guise of Jane Foster. And it's insane how he's willing to let her in right there and let love back in and be be ready to feel shitty again, to quote the movie. I'm quoting a movie. You can probably beep it out, Captain. Sorry, sir. Uh, You're good. You're good there. That's good. Uh, 
So he he's he's ready to feel that again. That takes a long time for most people to come to. And I've heard, you know, like, oh, he like turns right around and makes a joke. Yeah. There's a lot of people who do that. They're called comedians. Have you ever watched Louis C.K.? Dude hates, literally hates himself. And you can tell he hates himself based on his jokes, based on his show, Louis. There's a lot going into that character that I think doesn't resonate with people because they are not that way. I am that way. I've been that way. I mean, that's how I got into acting was improv and comedy and just making fun of myself because I didn't give a damn about myself. If I died, I died. If I had goals, whatever, they'll go to the next person is my mindset. And now I'm totally different. I'm willing to feel my emotions. It takes a lot of hard work. Go to therapy, kids. So I love the arc that Thor goes on. Gore goes on a very similar journey, except instead of cracking jokes, which he does very menacingly, uh, he decides to kill people. So you've got grief where you can decide to be comedic. You have grief where you decide to be an absolute psychopath and go murder people. I want seven minutes in heaven with gore slaughtering all the gods. I need that in my life. Give me that on like, I don't know, just send it to my email. I won't even show it to the world. I just need that, you know, like that's my favorite series of six pages, I think, in 2012's God of Thunder. Uh, when he debuted, like he just slaughters for for pages. Great, glorious, glorious, if you will. Uh, and then you've got another stage of grief with um, Jane Foster. Almost called her Padme. It'll never not be Padme in my <laughs> eyes. Love you, Padme. Uh, with Jane Foster and Natalie Portman, she's going through a totally different grief, and that is the grief of your own death. You've got the grief of losing others and the grief of losing yourself in your life. And she's probably the strongest character the entire way through the movie, if you ask me. Like, maybe it's because I love Natalie Portman and I've wanted to marry her since I was eight years old. Maybe it's because it's actually done justice with... They could have done more with the cancer stuff, I think. Um, but the way that they build to that point and to her eventual death, where it then culminates with Thor opening his heart and being like, oh, I'm okay with this. And how Gore goes on a very similar journey. I'm going, I'm poisoned. I'm dying. And I'm going to go. And at the end, Jane does what she set out to do to save Asgard, to save children, to save people. And Gore pivots in the same way that Thor comes in and pivots. If you look at three lines and how they're all kind of, weaving in and out of each other, that those character arcs specifically is actually where this movie shines the most. You've got three characters on lines that are sometimes connecting and most of the times aren't even parallel. They're on their own squigglies out there in Candyland. But when it matters, it comes to that point there in front of eternity. Uh, that might not be his name. I can't remember. And you, boom, they all come together. One chooses to die. One chooses to love. And one chooses to also love. And you don't really expect that or see that coming. And that is what I love about this movie. In the end, especially, is you, you've got all these other things out here that aren't great, right? But if you hone in on the three main characters of this movie and their story specifically, yeah, you may have issues with tone and this thing's turned into a joke. But... When it comes to their arc, I think that is where it is its strongest, and that's why it is number four. Thor four, if you will. I respect that wow. explanation. Thor that was, four, that, four. That, 
really came from the heart. That's good. Yeah, it was really yeah, good. So you have to open your I wish the, the I wish the movie was as good as your explanation, Thomas. I, hey, we can go back. <laughs> <laughs> we can start over. We can do it again. <laughs> My number four, I'm going with Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness. Hmm. And nice. Really, I just really loved the Sam Raimi aspect of it. Okay. I loved what he brought to Doctor Strange and just some of the visuals. The music fight we talked about a little bit earlier. I thought that was very creative, very visually pleasing. And I also liked the Scarlet Witch and even the Illuminati sequence, even though there was some, it was like, it was, you get introduced to these characters and you're like, oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. But then like seeing Black Bolt's brain go, what mouth? And then Reed Richards becomes spaghetti. Like, it's just like one of those from a, it wasn't like too, too horrifying, but it was like just enough within a Marvel film where you were like still shocked. You were still kind of like an opening night. I was like, my mouth was wide open. And even when Professor X's neck just gets snapped, you're like, whoa, what's going on here? So I really loved that aspect of this film is just the visuals, the Sam Raimi style of storytelling and just the whole Doctor Strange Wanda conflict. I wish that would have been more fleshed out just because of I think there could have been a couple different angles there that would have been a bit cool to explore. And then like this is kind of a more of my nerdy critique. This is like I'm not critiquing this part like as a person like watching film. This is more as like an MCU fan critique. I felt like calling this multiverse of madness was not the greatest decision because I didn't feel like this felt really multiverse lacking. I think when you think of like multiverse of madness, you expect tons of different universes, tons of different scenarios and characters. And I didn't feel like that really made sense for this film. I felt that was lacking. And then also when you have a film called multiverse of madness, I, I kind of expected the post-credit scenes to be more important. And there's one that could age better in the future, but for now I'm just, it was kind of like, after that film, I really thought they were going to deliver some like zingers because I mean, it's multiverse of madness. That's what I at least thought, but that's why I have it at four. It could have easily be, been number one if just a couple things would have been tweaked, in my opinion. Mm. Nice. Yeah. You know, the post credit scene that I really wanted for multiverse of madness, I really, really wanted just a, a shot of um, the dark hold, like a copy of the dark hold still existing, which would have been a shock as it is because as far as we know, it's quote unquote destroyed and uh shot of that and we hear some footsteps and we see somebody come up to it we see a hand grab it and uh the hand then turns to bones and uh fire and it's robbie reyes and he grabs the dark hold and then we just cut to black i think that would have been ultimate post-credit scene it's never gonna happen that would have been god thick would have been sick that fracks so hard wouldn't that have been cool like could you imagine like seeing that you're like like so many things i literally thought you were gonna be like and it's doom because i still think doom is in this movie okay i think doom is hidden in this movie somewhere uh but yeah i will say these are like the most disappointing post-credit scenes i agree yeah from yeah they also made the least amount of sense yeah yeah 100 yeah i've not walked out more confused from a movie than that and i saw it three times you think yeah. you've learned something after one of those, <laughs> but no, I'm like, I'm still confused. Why does he have the eye? Why is he totally not hitting on Clea right away? Like, that's the weirdest part. Dude, yeah, that <laughs> makes no sense. You want to talk about suspension of disbelief. Come on, yeah. let's, 
let's come on get real he's like who uh, are you he should be like hi i'm dr strange <laughs> hello i'm stephen strange all right that brings me to number three now we're in the hot seat with the with the threes and the twos and the ones mm-hmm. i am <clears throat> gonna go with black panther wakanda forever for my number three spot uh i like what they did with it i think they did and a pretty astounding job considering the circumstances with uh, Chadwick Boseman and everything that they had to do with the story. I think this probably has the most, um, maybe not coherent, but the most satisfying final act um, of, of the movies that I have listed so far. Um, And I think there's a lot of good things that they do for this, for the story and for Wakanda as a nation. Um, I love the introduction of Riri Williams. I think it worked better than the introduction of America Chavez. But again, I kind of mentioned earlier, this is where you feel you feel the cogs in the machine, right? Ryan Coogler is a very smart screenwriter. He has a very good on like kind of movie presence. Um, I mean, you look at the the kind of the final moments of the initial Black Panther and how we get those moments between um Killmonger and and Black Panther and and T'Challa and and how much they mean and it's just dialogue um I think you lose a little bit of this in in this movie um and it gets a little overstuffed I think I think the Riri is 100% a kind of a, a shoehorn of Kevin Feige saying like look sh- she's getting her own show in 18 months she has to be in this project there's just no getting around it, right? And and um, I think she's fun, and I think she brings a good energy. But again, I just think it's one thing's you know one thing too many. You're already introducing Namor in a brand new tribe and a brand new world, and then another new character, and you're doing a lot. And um, I think there are a lot of kind of powerful moments. Um, and it's got a, obviously some some really good songs. Um, and and I think ultimately the movie does work, and I love the tone setting from the get go from that moment and i think they dealt with that in a really really responsible and uh passionate way um but yeah i i I think this is good i don't think it's great i i still think black panther is better i think it is a better screenplay i think it is more powerful and holds a lot more in terms of of obviously cultural relevance and significance and and what it represented um in terms of the mcu and in terms of of just cinema in general i mean we're kind of forever we're looking at a nomination, uh, I guess, an, a, a certified nomination for Angela Bassett uh, and a potential win at an Oscar, which would be the first ever Marvel movie and actor to win an Oscar, um, but not non for Best Picture in a in a year in which there were um, two sequels, both very big blockbusters by very big names, um, and and I feel like it had a good shot at that. So uh, I think it's good. I don't think it's great, but I think it's good. Okay. Fair. Yeah, that's fair. Um, Black Panther Wakanda Forever is not one that I'll be talking about yet, but I am going to be coming back to Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness for my number three spot. Um, I, I, I know right away and I, I knew going in that this movie would probably hit me in a way that that would I would like it more than, than most people. But um, I man, it was so creative and it was it was so daring and um not only does it have one of my favorite mcu cameos in john krasinski as reed richards like that is the definition of like fan service but it works because marvel in this instance knew what fans wanted and even if it's not for the long term which it seems like it won't be um john krasinski is mr fantastic it's so cool that we got that little snippet 
just so we could have it, you know, like it, it's amazing that they were able to, to find a way to work that in there. Um, but back to like the, the creativity and, and the reason I have this as high as it is, is also the reason why I enjoy movies like Iron Man 2 so much. And it's because of that, that main plot line of you are your own worst enemy. And throughout this entire movie, Stephen Strange is, is on this, this quest to, to find happiness without even realizing it. And what does he keep running into? Himself. And, and every, at every turn, he's having to come to terms with who he is as a person and what he wants out of life and what he's searching for. And it can all be circled back around to that. And um, I thought that was capped off so nicely in the third act because we did get the focus on Wanda. Um, and, and we got, you know, things to come full circle there with her in the dark hold. But also with Steven, like he comes across this variant of himself who literally specializes in killing the lesser variants of Doctor Strange, where he says, he's like, I've killed, you know, hundreds, if not, I don't remember the, the quantity, but he's like, I've killed so many Doctor Stranges, you know, like I'm, I'm basically the most powerful one. And Steven had to come up with a way to beat him in that moment that this variant had never encountered before. And he takes sheet music and starts pelting him with it. Like I, I, to, to have the innovation and the creativity in that moment to think of that is so unique and, and something I really enjoyed. Um, and the camera work that came along with it really kept you on your toes, which is something that all the other movies I've listened so far really didn't even hold a candle to, um, except maybe Thor Love and Thunder was some of the, the, the lighting that they did. But um, Multiverse of Madness, the only downsides I have for it is, is that, you know, it suffered from that fast pace of the, the phase four where it did kind of get cut down a little bit. I think another 10 minutes or so, like Ethan said, just going into America Chavez a little more would have helped it immensely because um, you would have been more invested in, you know, trying to save that character, which is, you know, the main motivation. Um, but I, I definitely don't view her as a MacGuffin. I actually see her as Kang's worst nightmare. Like, I think she's going to be a huge problem. I think her being in Kamartage is going to have huge implications going forward. Um, so I do think they are setting her up to be a, a big player, but I can totally see why people, you know, don't, necessarily walk away with that thought and then you know the final thing i'll say is that like the the third act and the the story in general it does feel rather contained for being a multiverse you know story you know mm -hmm. um but like when following america through it and seeing the sequence of events and then following dr strange's arc through it i think it does lay out a very um like cohesive multiverse story that makes sense for an mcu character that we're trying to follow I like the way you explained that better than than the movie did, <laughs> for sure. Because I, I like, yeah, go ahead. Uh, like I I recognize the Doctor Strange story right away. Like, mm -hmm. and I love the I you know you are your own worst enemy. And by the end, he goes, "Oh, I'm not that key to solving this problem. She is. Mm -hmm. Should have had a V8." And it's like, okay, cool, finally. You had to literally be a dead version of you being a zombie, missing half your jaw. Mm. Great. Um, when it comes to America Chavez, America Chavez might be like one of my favorite parts of this movie. Yeah, she's the MacGuffin, but they do just that one scene of explaining A, her powers, and B, like uh, how it happened the first time. And also you find out that she'll never get to go back to her universe. Because she mm -hmm. doesn't know how to find it right now. 
we're gonna we're gonna toss that down to secret wars though and we'll come back to that in two years uh but like and that's all i needed to actually i mean outside of like oh like a teenager is obviously being chased and being killed whatever um sure so she's the MacGuffin of like oh i need your powers uh, and then we find out about her her past and her family, which is very heartwarming. And now I actually care about this character not dying. Unlike, you know, as a comic fan, I'm like, oh, Reed Richards. And then I am like, oh, he's dead. And I cared more about him coming into this movie than I did America Chavez. But with America Chavez there, I'm like, okay, yeah. But the horror thing, it's the horror movie and she's the final girl. And... That is the part that I really loved about it. Once I realized, I'm like, oh, she's the final girl. Like, oh, that is way more cool than it took me to realize in the first two times I watched it. So she really kind of <laughs> is my favorite part of this movie, not named Scarlet Witch slash Wanda slash Darkhold slash uh, the creator of Doom's magic. Boom. Mic drop. Whoops. That's impressive. I, I don't know if you can drop the mic because you're up. For your next ranking. Oh, so. crap. Very true. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so um, going from a movie that's very crazy and wild and multiversal uh, and then in the final act is just like really tight and really personal. We're going to do the opposite and go Shang-Chi here for my number three. Mm. Um, I have no qualms with the final act other than I wish we had more dragons. Um. You know, it's weird that final. This is like, madness. No, this <laughs> is Talo. We got there. It took me a second. There you go. You, you nailed <laughs> I almost, it. I almost said nice. um, Chun Li, Shao uh, Lao. I almost said a bunch of different things, but Shao Lao is in my head because of Dragon Ball Z, and that's what I mm. think of when I see this dragon uh, every time. So that final act gives us like Pokemon and Dragon Ball Z, like things that I would resonate with as a child even though i didn't watch pokemon sorry don't kill me uh and to smash it together with a marvel superhero movie and i'm like oh okay did not see this coming but everything that happens before that really builds it up to the point where i care about these characters and now i'm like okay well like how are these guys it goes from like adding a challenge for me shang chi can fist fight any single person on this planet then we see that he might be able to fistfight any single person in the multiverse. Yeah, that's right. I said it. And then we get to the point. It's like, oh, dragons. How the hell is he going to get? Like, how is this going to go? I think without the dragons, it's wicked predictable and wicked boring. Personally, you add the dragons, you add the other dimension, another, another dimension. And then they start layering them on top of each other, almost like 10 rings in a circular situation. And it adds like a level of, of, mm, I'm trying to remember this came out after Loki, right? Just for a quick reference from the folks. I need to yep, after Loki. So once we hit Tao Lo and they like actually see it, cause I didn't think we were going to go there. And they're talking about this, oh, this is another dimension, and that comes from another dimension, a dark dimension. And I'm like, oh, okay, maybe that ties into the dark dimension. Let's find out later on. It's P.S. It's still night. And then we start discussing how it all works. I'm like, oh, oh, they're literally leaning into multiverse a little bit here. Now, I don't necessarily think 
Taolo is another multiverse. I think it's more like the Iron Fist. I can't remember the name of it right now. Um, that Iron Fist is from that the cities of. Anyways, it's one of the seven heavens of like ancient mythology. I think on Earth, and uh, I think that's going to be tying into Iron Fist there in the future. Again with a dragon, shout out the golden dragon in the uh, omnipotent city in Thor Love and Thunder. We didn't talk about that scene at all, but that golden dragon could be the dragon that we all know. When we get to the end fight, though, and he takes control of the Ten Rings, and then it you know, narrows back down and it's a family drama again, that's where that third act really is like, boom, I'm back, like... I love the dragon stuff. Yay, we're having fun. But like, oh, now we're getting Luke Skywalker versus Darth Vader. Like now we're getting to see, oh, oh, his mother is in him a little bit more. Oh, man. Wow. This really is Star Wars, isn't it? Star Wars and the Legend of the Ten Rings. So we get to that point and it's so beautiful and how it ties together. And then we get to the post credit scene, which is like a beacon, right? Like, oh, it's a beacon. It, or it's we don't know what it's doing. It activated, and we've never seen it in this world. This world is that right? Wong, Mister Scroll, Wong. It's okay that he's doing things because he's a scroll. Boom, calling it here now. Uh, I'm all in on the scroll Wong trade because he's terrible at being a sorcerer supreme, but he was a great librarian. So I'm very confused. Are those skills transitional? Considering the way that he was talking about killing someone for stealing a book, yes, I think so. Everything ties back into Kang, boys. And that beacon, I think, is a beacon to Kang. And I feel like Zach's about to pick Shang-Chi at number three. <laughs> <laughs> I'm watching him look at me and I'm like, ooh, oh I stolen his pick. You're absolutely right. I am doing Shang-Chi at number three. <laughs> oh, nailed it. Look at us. You, you got job. it right. You know me well. And I love this film in particular because it, the father-son drama. I feel like the MCU has been built on father-son drama. Star-Lord Ego, Howard Stark, Tony Stark, you know, these family drama issues. And Wenwu, I think, is probably the best villain in Phase 4. Tony Luang gives just such a great performance. And oh, good. Shang-Chi just, just did it for me because it's like one of those films. It was fun. I felt like it had a great story and I really didn't know would Marvel be able to pull this off anymore because it felt like the trend was starting to become, Hey, these origin stories, they're going to be on Disney plus. So I was like, could they still make a movie where it's a new character? Not a lot of people know who he is, Shang-Chi and can it be successful? And Dustin Daniel Cretton took that challenge and Hey, paid off in spades. Shang-Chi is now a fan favorite and Dustin Daniel Cretton is going to direct Avengers the King Dynasty so it really was an important film for the MCU and I'm a sucker for post-credit scenes where Multiverse of Madness fell short I felt like this film delivered in spades because you get the Ten Rings tease which his sister Shang-Chi's sister is obviously not not to the good side yet she she's take she's gonna take up that empire and then the final scene with the beacon in where is that signal going to, which it probably is Kang. That seems like that's going to be his technology. But I just love that they kind of gave that, you know, confirmation that the Avengers are still in contact together because that was one of my lingering questions 
after Endgame. It was like Phase 4 because they were like resetting the table. It, it was, there was parts in Phase 4 where I'm like, okay, this doesn't make sense. They just went through the Battle of Earth and none of them were like in contact with each other. And that's where I loved that the Shang-Chi post-credit scene did confirm there is contact still in this could end up being a super important post-credit scene down the line because this could have been our first real glimpse at the contact of Kang and could come tying all the way right back around once we get to watch that film. Can I extrapolate off what you just said on this post-credit scene really fast? Because my favorite part of this post-credit scene, is it my favorite post-credit scene? It's like a coin flip at this point. It kind (laughs) of is. You have Earthbound Man, and that is... Bruce Banner with the with the with the thing on his arm. He's still just little old Brucey Bruce. Um, shout out She-Hulk for teaching us what that was. And then you've got Carol, who's in charge of space, like the galaxy, the universe outside of uh, terrestrial Earth. And then Wong, who's the magic, he's the Sorcerer Supreme, and he's. I'm trying to think. Did we know he was Sorcerer Supreme at this point? I don't think we did. No, I don't think we did. Yeah. Not so at he, this point. Yeah, at this point, he's the Sorcerer Supreme. And he's in charge of magic. And then we're like, you think like, oh, he's in charge of the multiverse, right? Like, because that's what they do. They travel the multiverse. As And you'd think now, like, as Sorcerer Supreme, he would be in charge of that. And then we see later on he is Sorcerer Supreme. And we go back and watch that post credit scene again. He sounds really unsure of what's going on. Um, the, the Sorcerer Supreme before the elder i don't remember her name um tilda swinton she she's the one who's like who are you in this vast multiverse she knew about it Mm -hmm. that leads me to think that he wong is a scroll he's an impostor and that is going to lead to no sorcerer supreme on earth because we just saw good old dr strange as we just talked about gone so when Kang, after Secret Invasion, excuse me, after Secret Invasion, when all the scroll stuff falls out and we have no one watching Earth magically and Kang has already done whatever he's going to do and kill all the people he's going to kill in Quantumania, Kang, Quantumania, then that's going to leave Earth very vulnerable and it's going to leave time vulnerable. And that is when the multiverse is going to start cracking, I think. A little bit more and i want to i'm questioning how many of these movies we've been watching are actually a part of secret world secret wars battle world because through time hang has already won it's just when is he and when has he won everything we've been watching and i i want to pitch this here and now everything we've been watching since endgame has been a manifestation of what Kang wants because at the end of Loki season one, Kang is already taking control of the TVA. Quantumania, I think, opens that door for him to do that because it's going to take a specific moment in time. The, uh, you know, he who remains being killed. Kang now comes through. We can see how it starts to jolt about, and that's when we get to Secret Wars. And it might be way less crazy as we're thinking of, like, they're going to create a battle world, because that's totally a thing that happens and people should recognize. And it does a crazy world multiverse crushing map, and it could be finding out that, oh, we've been doing this the whole time. And that's why it's called Secret Wars, the entire 
saga has been happening through different things and all at the behest of Kang. Sorry to hijack it and talk about my Lord and Savior of time. We knew it was coming. We knew it would happen. Totally even, good. Even though we're just doing the movies, we knew it would happen. Yeah, sorry. sorry, sorry. You, you got to dedicate time to, to those who deserve it. And he deserves it. Uh, I will say that this seems like a good opportunity. I think Loki was by far and away the best single project of the Phase 4. And Loki Episode 6 is the best episode of Disney Plus television that we've received from Marvel to date. And I don't know if it will be beaten. Um, so now that I've said that, who wants to talk about Eternals some more? Anyone we talk oh, about Eternals? Goody. Let's talk about Eternals. Uh, I love Eternals. Uh, Zach, uh, do you, uh, you went, right? That was your number three. I'm on to Num- number two. Number three was Shang-Chi for me. And yeah, we're Ooh. on to number two. So number two okay. is Eternals. Can't wait to I got hear worried. what you have to I, say. Yeah. I thought I got carried away there for a second. No, I no, thought I was jumping, no. jumping away. Uh, Eternals. I'll give you some bullet points because I know we've talked about Eternals. I still firmly believe that the MCU had to have a a sacrificial lamb to go into the exposition, the auteur, if you will, kind of expose world that Marvel has yet to break into. This is new. This is different. It is nearly entirely exposition. It is shot entirely different. It, I mean, I, I remember, I, I'm sure you guys remember, when this thing was being filmed, there were quotes coming out from Kevin Feige saying, Chloe Zhao wants to go places. She wants to go to fields and beaches and mountains and shoot this. And we've never done that before. And it's not a green screen. And and obviously, the Twitter discourse was off the rails of, of what that meant or what it implied or whatever. Um, but I think it is absolutely stunning what Chloe Zhao did with this film it is gorgeous it is vast it is truly massive both in scope and in uh the the beauty that it is able to capture and I think that really holds true to the Eternals as a group I don't have any experience with the Eternals in comics or, or anything outside of this film and I think it really does capture that vast scope of the team and the interweaving and interlocking dramatic core themes that every single person has to deal with. I mean, let's not forget, like, Sprite is kind of dealing with her own thing about Icarus and Icarus falling in love um, with Cersei and, like, these love triangles that are within the Eternals I think are very powerful. And I think Chloe Zhao did her very best in working for the machine and working for the... for for you know, the, the big blockbuster and trying to create something new that she had just won the Academy Award for Nomadland two years before that as best director. Um, and, and you know, I'm sure Kevin Feige was so elated that he could slap Oscar-winning director on the trailer of The Eternals. And, you t- I mean, you talk about the cast, you've got three Oscar nominees, three prior Oscar nominees and a winner. This cast is ridiculously stacked, very, very talented. And although not everything works, I think the story is too big for its own good. I do think it is lengthy. I do think that it kind of falls um, under that that Marvel umbrella in the final 20 minutes. You get the CGI, you get the big things, you get the core comic elements that you always have to come back to for some reason or another. Um, but I, I just, I personally, my movie watching style and my consumption preference is 
this. It is exposition. It is core um, themes that are expressed and dealt with and talked about and consequences for all of our heroes. And I think that is when Marvel shines the brightest to me is that when we have real consequences and we really have to deal with them. And I know we're getting ready to talk about that. I would assume with our number ones, I guess we'll see what we all end up picking. Um, but I, I think this fundamentally changed what was possible in the MCU. And I don't think we've seen the last of two things, the last of this type of a scale and this type of a, of, of a storytelling. And I don't think we've seen the last of Kevin Feige trying to break into that um, mainstream um, director field, trying to grab somebody that has an Oscar nom, that has an Academy Award, that has a massive name outside of Taika or James Gunn, right? I mean, I think I think they're really hurting right now in that world of trying to find somebody that wants to work for the machine, that wants to work on a project where they know stuff's going to end up on the cutting room floor. They're going to have to sacrifice a lot story-wise. They're going to have to stick to comics. They're going to have to stick to a very tight timeline or budget or whatever Kevin Feige needs and wants. Um, and I think that's Marvel has put themselves in a really tight spot. So I think they got closed out a good time. Um, I could talk about Eternals for a long time. And and I, I did. I had an Eternals pod. Back when I had my 15 minutes of Marvel podcast, we did an entire like two-hour Eternals pod for my Patreon members. And it was it was sick. Eternals rips. I'm just going to say that. I watched like the first 35 <laughs> minutes again last night. And I was like, this score is incredible. This is awesome. Like, I just, I just had a great time. I love Eternals. I want more of that content moving forward. And the score, yeah, we that's something we really haven't mentioned yet tonight. But like the score of Eternals, especially, was definitely a strong suit. Yep, the um, best score. Man, yeah, that score. That's a that's that's a tough question. It's a good. Do you thing. think Eternals it's, had the best score? It's a it great is, score. It is the best. It's it's to me it's it's down between two from phase four from phase four film I should say because mm. Loki wins. That's Loki had the best soundtrack. Loki, yeah. Loki had the best yeah, soundtrack. It's definitely Loki, but I was sticking to our our parameters for this mm -hmm. this one. <laughs> nice, nice. Well, uh, I get okay. We'll go to my number two now. Um, it. I, it's Did you want to move Eternals to your number two slot and like make some <laughs> some changes based on what you've heard or? Gonna, yeah, you know what? Yeah. <laughs> it's, a, it's a little bit too far down on my list to, to move it up at this point but um no it, no my number two is going to be Wakanda forever um this movie is in every sense an MCU blockbuster it has all of the right elements it has the right um story beats the right character um uh development and motivation uh it it, it, it is very similar in a sense to the first black panther but i actually i really appreciate that about it and i think a lot of that's because every aspect of this movie there are traces and hints and um uh references to chadwick and his life and his legacy and although the arc does seem similar to his i think that was done purposefully to show that he's still living on through this black panther mantle through the legacy of the character um, in the MCU as it moves forward. I've, I, I've never seen a movie that so tastefully let go of the past while also still mm. introducing so many new fun ideas. It, it's, it, it was so well-crafted and so um, respectfully done that I, 
I couldn't believe that we were we were processing and mourning the loss of Chadwick at the same time as getting to meet Riri Williams and finding out that Val was married to Martin Freeman's character, Everett Ross. Like totally unnecessary, just, but very, very cool. Right? Like <laughs> wow, you know, super like, fun. Like, yeah. Super just fun. Wow. Like I cannot I I I love their tension they had together. Um, I had their their it little was, it was great. their little spats that they had, I thought were hilarious. I I was waiting for JLD to make an impact for me personally in the MCU because it's been cool to see her, but I really haven't understood what she's bringing to the table yet. Mm -hmm. And here you really felt that fleshed out. And that's the other really strong point of this movie. While while all of the Black Panther story is great and we have um, so much strong, emotional, raw development from that side of it, from every cast member that was involved, um, what the best thing that I think it did for the MCU was give finally some real world perspective. We saw the the conversations they had at NATO when when Angela Bassett's Queen Ramonda she walks out those French mercenaries and says, "Here you go. Here's your guys. Here's what you tried to do. I foiled it, and I'm exposing you in front of the world, and I'm not going to do anything about it." That was so powerful, but it showed where the world's at, and it's a super real take. That is how we would react if something like Wakanda existed, is we would try to attack it and take it for ourselves, just like we've done with everything else. And I, I really love that, you know, one of my biggest gripes with, with Eternals is that the, the scope and the scale of it, 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 every part about it is supposed to scream, you know, doomsday and devastation. And you don't get that from the human perspective. Whereas with this movie, they made it a focal point with Riri Williams, with Everett Ross, with um, uh, so many supporting actors. You get that ground level human perspective. And you get to finally figure out what's going through the world's mind right now. Um, and you get just a peek into, into you know, how they're handling this ever-expanding MCU um, where there seems to be a new life-threatening issue every day. Um, mm -hmm. So I think Black Panther was like the ultimate juggler. I, I think it had so many um, goals and it achieved all of them. Um, and like like you guys already mentioned, Angela Bassett is up for an Oscar right now for this movie. Like this yeah, movie brought performances that are going to be talked about at the Academy. Like that's something to talk about. Mm -hmm. And um, uh, I, I don't I don't think I had a gripe with this movie at all. Even the underwater scenes were so well done, way better than I was expecting. Um, and I really loved the original idea they had for Talocan too. So like. I, I could sing praises about this movie all day. From an MCU standpoint, I think this is one of its strongest contenders. JRB, you did not have to rope in the Eternal Slander. I'm going to be honest with you. That was a low blow. <laughs> you, you, you have to see where I'm coming from. This is why my list makes sense, is because <laughs> I'm a human. I want to be part of this. And in Eternal, I just want to be an Eternal, man. I just want to be an Eternal. Look, here's one thing that I did forget to say about Eternals. It is by far and away, and I will not take any compromise on this, it is the sexiest and hottest and most adult that the MCU has been, and I personally want more of that MCU. I want that adult, mature tone, and I think it started bringing it in. Ethan likes thrusting, good job. what he's yeah. saying. Look, if the they, I gotta take, I gotta take the, the wins thrusting. where I can get them. Okay, uh. that I gotta take the wins where I can get them. Okay, I will say I've never actually been more invested in the emotion of like a quote unquote sex scene than in that movie. Yeah. Like 
and I wouldn't it like it's like high school first love moments and it's like weird very weird people are like there's so much and i was like okay like the thrusting was a touch much i did not expect that but other than that like that's that's that was love that was it just shows they were making love they weren't having sex kids at the end of the day they were married they are human just like us except the robots so they're cylon skin jobs they're they're really not though (laughs) what is love if not human jrb what is love all right i won't say anything further all right go ahead tcr it's it's weird it's almost like everybody has the same number one potentially uh but i think i think we we do i think we all are on the number one there but it's because it's elite and black panther wakanda forever is so close to being honestly Black Panther Wakanda Forever and my number one, in case you don't know what that is, <laughs> spoiler alert, you'll find out in like 15 moments. I don't I almost said minutes. That ain't happening. Uh <laughs> time. It's all relative. It's Black Panther Wakanda Forever, I think is elite. I, I think I think it very much is elite. Uh and the way that we get to where we get in this movie is so unexpected. And for me, the grieving, like I've been saying, you know, the through line of phase four really is grief. You watch every single project and you look at what each character goes through. They're grieving over something. Uh, I lost my friend. I lost my love. I lost myself. I, I, I'm running away. Like grief is everywhere in this, even in Black Widow in Civil War. She's grieving the loss of the Avengers everywhere. She-Hulk, she's grieving the loss of her anonymity. That was a really hard word to say. I'm proud of myself for getting it right this late in the day. Uh, but in this, you're it, it wraps up beautifully with, shoot, man, even um, the Eternal uh, Guardians of the Galaxy holiday special, grieving. Werewolf by Night, there's grieving the grieving in a sense of what you know you're capable of and grieving what you're going to have to do at times. So when it ends in Black Panther Wakanda Forever and they take grief, the grief that we feel as an audience, and they just hit you in the face with it. The the seeing the death of T'Challa from Shuri's point of view and knowing she had the ability to save him but couldn't. And then she like denounces religion and where that goes all the way through. And then you have you juxtapose that with the antagonist of the film, not the villain. Namor, mm-hmm. um, and and how he is a god in their eyes. Like going in, I was questioning: Is he going to be the avatar of the feather serpent god in the way the Black Panther is the avatar of the goddess past? No, but he is a god. He's a mutant, and and that is you know he is still he's currently Marvel's first mutant at over 400 years old i love that i needed that specific subtle drop in there that he is the 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 marvel's first mutant and my favorite thing about this movie outside of the grief and the great performances is namor and the interpretation that we get of namor it's not atlantis to get confused with the general audiences well i thought aquaman was atlantis that's that is old people. I don't know why I think they're the only ones who can't get this, but 
Um, why is he? There's my kid version of that whole quote. And it's Talukan. And they invented this entire new civilization. They based it off of a South American, uh, yeah, South American Latin culture and made tied it in with Aztecs and Mayans. And if you're watching National Treasure right now on Disney Plus, that series, they're doing the same thing, but they're not making it all mystified. It's just a mystery. So the way that they tied in Namor to that and grounding it and creating this whole new culture and the fact that like i want ryan coogler to just oh you okay ethan just imagine if ryan coogler wrote eternals okay i can't like, but okay <laughs> <laughs> i feel like we would have understood them a little not them but like the What's going what's going on there a little bit better because he's so good at developing an entire civilization mm. from scratch. And that's that's sure. the that's the mindset. Sure. And what they do with Talokan and Namor is amazing. And the post-credit scene, really high up there for being the best. And it's technically a mid-credit scene, but it's so little what they yeah. do with that. And it's a beautiful way to be like, we still have a T'Challa a future Black Panther, a potential future king. And uh, after, you know, Tang comes around in Secret Wars, I feel like he's going to go from child to adult really fast. Could see it. Would make a lot of sense. Timeline jump. Yeah. Hmm. And to continue on, boys, I think we all have the same number one officially. <laughs> because nice. I'm going with Black Panther, Wakanda Forever. I mean, I think we've sung its praises enough, but to add on to it, Ryan Coogler, he's a master world builder. Wakanda, Talakan, and then Angela Bassett's performance was off the charts. And just the whole Ironheart was a Disney Plus series when it was announced. I was like, okay, why are we doing Ironheart? After watching Wakanda Forever, I was like, okay, I see why we're doing Ironheart. Like, this film just worked, and I also loved that we started this phase with WandaVision, which was about exploring grief. We ended it with Wakanda Forever, also about grief. And really, my only con with this film is that it's just so sad that Chadwick, Chadwick Boseman passed away. and But his loss is felt throughout this film. And I've never been to a Marvel film where when that opening flip, that opening uh, flip is happening with the Marvel Studios characters, that it's completely silent. I've never had a Marvel Studios film experience where silence was so defeating at certain mm. moments. It was just like paying respect to who we lost. And I feel like that's the power behind this film. And I'm going to take the word out of T TCR's playbook. It was elite. It was elite. I'll leave it at that. The Thanks. silence was crazy. I mean, yeah. multiple times, just not even like even in Endgame and Infinity War, like when people were disappearing, like, that's the level of silence, and it happened multiple times in Wakanda Forever. Masterful. Just masterful storytelling by Ryan Coogler, and that he dug deep. He, I mean, I give him credit. It's tough to make films, but it's even tougher to make films with those circumstances, and he mm -hmm. pulled it off. Yeah. Okay. Do I get to lead us on the number one journey here? Do I get to kick us off? Yeah, of course. We, we got this. We this is going to be so much fun. Yeah. I think it's a roundtable now, baby. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Roundtable this? Yeah. I think we're just I think we're just having a good time talking about Spider-Man No Way Home. Easily 
by far and away the best phase four project. Um, t- look, I was, I was watching, rewatching it last night and, uh, I was a couple beers deep and I was editing my podcast and I had Spider-Man on and I was texting my, my co-host of my show. I was like, look, is this, is this, is this top three MCU? Like I, I said, is this better than that game? Because I think you could make an argument that it, that it possesses what it needs to, to be that powerful. Um, I know you guys are all going to talk about it as well. I won't keep us here forever talking about this movie. There's one specific thing that I want to talk about and call out. And I've been singing these praises since I saw it in the theater, the first and the second time. And I rewatched it last night and I, I, I didn't rewatch all of it. Um, but I, I wanted to, like, I just didn't want to turn it off and it still impresses me how incredibly well they pulled off the Spider-Man, like bringing Andrew and, and Toby in is like, I know it pulls out our heartstrings because it's full of nostalgia. And, you know, I, I grew up with Toby and other people grew up with Andrew and like, it's the culmination of a lot of things. But besides that point, it's very well-written. It makes sense. Mm. It doesn't step on toes. It doesn't try to do too much. It doesn't try to dig that nostalgia hole even deeper. It just lets it breathe. And I think that's really important. The one scene that I want to say is the first time we get a conversation between all three of our Spider-Mans. And it's it's kind of, it's on the top of the high school, I believe. And it's after Aunt May has just died. And it's after Peter has just listened to J. Jonah Jameson say, everything Spider-Man touches turns to ruin. What will we do? Um, and he is heartbroken. He is at his lowest, true lowest point. And we get Toby Maguire, we get Andrew Garfield come swinging in, talking to uh, Tom Holland. And, and what I think is so potent and powerful about the scene is that when Andrew Garfield tries to, to talk to Tom Holland uh, and says, mm-hmm. look, I, I know what you're going through. Tom says, you don't. You do not know what I'm going through. And what is the response? The response is, okay. The response is, you're right. The response is, I will listen to you. And even though that conversation kind of evolves and molds into finishing each other's sentences and, oh, my Uncle Ben told me this, your Aunt May told you that, and my Gwen was was your MJ and all of these kind of connecting factors, that raw emotion shared between those three Spider-Men is something that is not replicated in pretty much any other project i think you'd you have a really hard time um you know i I think you could argue endgame obviously the end of tony's kind of arc is very very powerful in that sense but i think this moment in particular possesses something that's really special that i think the writing just still impresses me and this is what is so baffling to me about the mcu and like particularly this phase four ranking is like personally we can have a movie like love and thunder where like the goats just piss me off and I just like don't want to listen to any more jokes. And then we have Spider-Man where I'm just like, this, this is a comic book movie. Why do I care so much? This is just a comic book movie, but it shows the power of, of the MCU, right? And the journey that we've all been on together. This movie is incredible and excellent. And I own it on physical and it's, it's great. I mean, I think this is one of the biggest wins possible for uh for for the mcu and i don't think it's any surprise that that john watts you know was involved and directed uh all three uh the trilogy of spider-man and they had the same writers and john watts is being looked at or confirmed i can't remember for fantastic four for future projects within the unit with within the mcu um i think they have something special with with john watts um 
man, I, I, I like this movie a lot. I think we all yeah, do. I, it's yeah, yeah. It, it, it's going to just be a love fest for the next few minutes because this movie is is it it it's masterclass. You know, it, it's the best of the best. It it was truly a genuine Marvel spectacle. You know, and I think honestly, like as 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 good as it is and as well received as it was, it is kind of a hindrance that it came so close to things like Infinity War and Endgame because like. We just had, you know, back to back to back. So many of these huge, like impactful, uh, monumental Marvel events, you know, and and this does line up with that where I, I think it does kind of fall in that top three, top five area of most people's MCU rankings because it's just a, a, a truly great Marvel event. It's a culmination of more than just the story that's being told in the MCU uh, Spider-Man story. It, it's more than... Um, you know, just a, a a third movie in that trilogy. It it it's bringing together you know decades of of Spider-Man fanfare um, on the big screen, which is huge. Um, so I mean, the fact that we got that fit into the Phase Four of Marvel, it almost doesn't seem fair to the rest of the entries here, um, because it really it just is at that level. Um, I I the, what I was worried that you know using multiverse variants as the villains would feel cheap when i first heard that that's what they were doing i was like oh well like is mysterio still gonna play into it or like are they gonna bring vulture back into the fold like is there still gonna be something i i'll i'll go to my my, grave saying that that's my boy you and me both yeah mysterio is alive uh mysterio was right but um having a corrupted norman osborne kill aunt may as a way to punish peter for like his moral righteousness Mm-hmm. It, uh, which by the way i we knew goblin despises that righteousness because of his original performance in the 2002 spider-man movie um but like to remove spidey's you know sense of heroism by taking away his his polaris like his it, it very efficiently effectively established polaris in ant may was so devious and and the fact that he looks him in the eye and says you'll thank me later and smiles as he's throwing that that pumpkin bomb at her is like Bro, that there that is on the level of like Shang Chi Legend Legend of the Ten Rings in terms of your your the caliber of your villain. Um and I I know we're gonna have a ton more to say about this, but one other thing I, I wanna note is that even when the re-release came out for this movie and they added, you know, however many extra minutes, it was only like I think ten at the most. Um I, it was still amazing. And in, in the theater, my mind was packed. People cheered for Toby again. People cheered for Andrew again, just like the first time that I saw it. And and it was even more enjoyable, you know, and it was it still felt like it was more of a community event than it was just another movie I was seeing. Um, so I, I this movie means a lot to to most Marvel fans. And um, I think it would be sitting at the top, if not right near the top of, of any MCU phase that you would insert it in. This is my number one MCU movie of all time. This Whoa. is yeah, wow. fair. It is. Yeah. Whoa. And it's not actually like I always was like, is it Infinity War? Is it any it, it's this? Like it came out, I was like, oh, it's number one. It's never not gonna be number one unless Respect. Kang does some Kang shit and fights all three Spider-Man at the same time, and then who maybe. Um, Spider-Man was my introduction into the Marvel Universe. Growing up in 1992, Batman the Animated Series dropped. I was deep into the Batman. They had it on Fox. I actually got that channel growing up. It was my four, Mm -hmm. my rabbit ears, you know what I'm saying? So that was nice. Um, 
And then I got Spider-Man in like 98 when also on Fox. And then I was like, oh, X-Men. Oh, Incredible Hulk. Like all these great stuff. And Spider-Man 02 changed the game for superhero films. Like truly. Uh, X-Men like was like, here we are. But Spider-Man was, look at what we can actually do with CGI. Like this looks real. This is what Spider-Man should be. This is only capable because of computer graphics uh, and and visual effects. Tobey Maguire was that dude. Going back, rewatching now, ah, I don't really like it. I'm not like the biggest fan of those movies because I'm just like that's it's so much more. It's very early two thousands with with the drama and the storytelling. Then. Andrew Garfield stuff came out and I'm like, I love Andrew Garfield. I wish his Peter were better, but I, he is Spider-Man. Tom Holland, best of both worlds. Never once thought they'd be on screen together. The fact that they are is amazing. The fact it's written well, like you mentioned, Ethan, is, is the cherry on top. You know what? It's the whipped cream on top. The fact that, the fact that, they fight together and they gel so well together and they instantaneously finish each other's sentences and moves is the cherry on top. The fact that they fight uh, Willem Dafoe's Green Goblin, you know, Norman Osborn is another cherry on top. You give the little nuggets and Easter eggs to all these other franchises inside of Spider-Man universe and you tie them all together in this beautiful bow, and then you recognize that this is the end of a three-film origin story for Spider-Man in the MCU, and it is all original all the way through. How can you not love it? Like, this is... This is... I mean, the fact that we wait three movies to get with great power, there must also come great responsibility. When that was mentioned... I knew she was dying and I was not prepared for that. And I cried for an hour straight from that point on. Cause I'm like sad. And then Toby and Andrew come through and I'm elated and I'm crying for a different reason, but I'm still crying. And then it gets emotional again. And then it's up and down and up and down. And I never, my, my favorite part is that as this movie is going through, I realized that, Oh, like I very much am more in line with Andrew Garfield's Spider-Man. Like that's the Spider-Man that I resonate with. He's a he's the millennial Spider-Man. Like in terms of he, that version of Peter Parker is a millennial and is Spider-Man. And I'm like, that that hits home for me. Um and then the score. They incorporated all the scores. And I score is sick. I don't know how they were able to pull that off. When Danny, when when the uh, Sam Raimi like theme from the Tobey Maguire mm. movie comes on for the first time, I was the only person in the theater that like you know Leoed that kind of thing, and I was like that 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 that's the score, like that's it's happening, <laughs> and nobody else heard it or cared or was audible about it, I guess. And I I felt great. I loved every second. Phase four of it. was, I was like, good at that. that. Sick. We yeah. had a few of those in Phase four, like Miss Marvel cool. doing yeah. the X Men theme. Same yep. with Doctor and then Strange, Multiverse of Madness. You had Multiverse of Madness when they when they did the WandaVision theme, and it's just the little notes yeah. that like dropped into that next kind of act. And again, I was like, that's sick. Like I that cheered. was great. Yeah. I love that. And and I think that is definitely a strong suit of the phase. Um, 
is that enough to like make the face great? No, but it's but it's really <laughs> fun. I liked it a lot. It had some good music. <laughs> Very yeah. good music and No Way Home. I just think lived up to the multiverse saga name, though. I think that's what it did. You know, it was early on in the phase, but it lived up to the title of this phase. And I feel like because it happened so early, all these other films have had to fight this uphill battle to reach the heights of No Way Home. But I think the one thing I like about No Way Home the best, and I know we've sung its praises already, but I think the consequences of it. A lot of these films don't have the consequences or that's just always something that people talk about. Peter Parker no longer exists in the MCU or like no one remembers him. People remember Spider-Man. They don't remember Peter Parker. And it's like after the emotional roller coaster of this film and what he went through to end on that note where it's like kind of a it's, you know, it's kind of a more chilling note. It's like the future of Spider-Man and the MCU is going to be a lot different. It's like that three film origin story. And now we're going into, you know, this is this is his life now. But man, I was like the whole consequences of the forgetting spell. That's something I want to see get unraveled within the MCU, but I just love that they had the consequences of it. And I think that's what really drove this film home was just how this film ended and just how it was a celebration of all the Spider-Man too. I think it's like just perfect. Just, you know, it's top three for me. In the MCU. I like what you said about the multiverse saga too, because like I do think one subtle thing this movie did really well was it got, general audiences used to the idea of like multiverse variants that don't look Mm. identical to each other because you had that in loki but like this movie did that so well and it you couldn't have been set up for success in a better way because everyone already knew these variants and loved these variants and and had been living with these multiverse variants for you know anywhere from uh five to ten to fifteen years in toby Maguire and andrew garfield so like now even casual marvel fans can grasp the concept of having a multiversal variant come in, not look exactly like you, but still be you from another universe. I think that's super cool. And that's going to be a key for a lot of these upcoming titles, or at least that's what we think. Secret Wars especially, or we might see Tobey Maguire and Andrew Garfield. They might be back for that. We don't know yet, but it's looking likely in my opinion. But yeah, no, that's really Spider-Man No Way Home. What else is there to say about it? It's like that could be an entire other podcasts we could just dive into the film and mm-hmm. talk about it all but i have some questions before we end this pod i have just some quick questions reflecting on our rankings a bit and they're just kind of superlatives basically but guys what was your favorite new character that was introduced in a phase four film that's tough there's a lot of yeah, new characters in so Phase tough. Four. There were so many good new ones. characters. Yeah, it's a tough one. Um, I mean, personally, I I just like the first thing that comes to mind is Yelena. I just think she brings so much to the table, and I think she is huge personality wise. She really eats up the scene when she's on camera. We've seen what she can do in Hawkeye uh, with Kate Bishop. We know that she has that rapport with lots of other people, and uh, her post-credit scene with Val, I think really kind of sets up a lot for Thunderbolts, obviously. Um, now that we kind of have a better idea of, of what her motives are. Um, I think she's, I mean, look, and Florence Pugh is, is just downright beautiful. So like anytime that she is on the screen, I'm not going to not watch. So I, and she's, she's an incredible actress. So 
I think for me, that's just like the first thing that that I want to you know comes to mind. Great answer, Namor. Another dope. good answer. He's dope. also really good looking. Yeah, yeah, he's <laughs> gonna, super good looking. Yeah, he's gonna soup my yeah, good looking guy for sure. Gonna charm um, the pants right off of uh, Sue Storm <laughs> soon. Oh man, that's <laughs> true. <laughs> Man, I think I've got two favorite characters of Phase Four. First has to be Tony Lung's character from uh, Shang Chi: Legend of Ten Rings. Mm. He, uh, probably, probably the best villain in this phase it, out of all of them. The only one that I think would come close is Willem Dafoe's Green Goblin. Um, it to me, but uh, uh, I, I think Wen Wu was was so well crafted, um, and and like all the mcu antagonists you really did see where he was coming from and and he had that human moment at the end where he you know it was a little bit of retribution but i think also i really liked makari uh, from eternals i i think the you know the signing speedster is so so cool that 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 we have that in the mcu now and um her chemistry with uh druid was was so probably probably my favorite um between any two characters in the phase so um makari would have to be my second pick totally fair mine is a tie between two i almost forgot elena was in this phase you know it's like just one of the felt like she was already so established that i forgot like she was a new character but for me the new characters from phase four that i liked one serious one more comedic is I think America Chavez, she's going to be one we're going to be talking about in a couple of years. Zochi Gomez, I think in a couple of years, we're going to be like, wow, that was a really good casting. And this character is great. I think that one's going to age well. And then the comedy one is Morris from Shang-Chi. I just like the whole faceless, <laughs> the faceless kind of, you know, you know, I can't it wait. It was amazing. You know, maybe he'll show up in Wonder Man or something. Just like a, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. a little Morris continue, cameo. Yeah, continue his journey. Oh, Morris. Yeah, we loved him. Oh, God, Morris! You really you can see him? <laughs> I was insane the whole time. Oh, my gosh. Every scene with Morris was great. Ben Kingsley was such a silly addition to that movie, but it, it worked, and Morris was a big part of that. It really did. And w- one last question before we recap our rankings, and this one we can go quick if you want. But what was your? I think we're gonna already know the answer to this. But what was your favorite post-credit scene within this phase? Mine's got to be Shang Chi. Is the 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 first hint we really get at any you know remnants of the Avengers still being a thing? You know, we we get yeah. that overarching like big problem that's gonna come, and we get to see that Shang Chi plays directly into that. Really felt like one of those classic Phase One post-credit scenes. Mm. yeah it did had a good vibe to it that's true i'm also gonna have to go uh shang chi for that entire tangent i mentioned earlier Mm. true you don't want to go over it again no no different brain (laughs) (laughs) i think uh yeah i mean look i i think honestly for me um I really, gosh, I keep going back to Black Widow. I really like the Black Widow post credit scene. I think like you get you get one. Val and you get yeah. you get Yelena and I think get a real like just upfront 
emotionally simple, like, hey, I can help you out. If you do what I want you to, I can get you where you want. And like, and and I remember seeing that and I was like, oh my God, like things are going to get dirty. Like we're going to have some double crossings and it's going to get really, really fun. And uh, I I just like it. And I, I think uh, Julia Louis-Dreyfus is, is great as Val. And she's really excellent in uh, The Falcon and the Winter Soldier when we get her and uh, and her moment. So yeah, I think I think that would be mine. That's fair. I'm I'm going Shang Chi's just because the the setup is too good. But if I had to pick a different one, I would go with No Way Home just because the Venom mm. being left. Oh yeah, that's intriguing. <clears throat> it's an intriguing kind of feels yeah. like they you know brought in Tom Hardy, sent him out, but they took what we needed the Venom and. We'll see if the symbiote attaches to Tom in a couple of years or whenever we get to see Tom Holland Spider-Man again. But boys, I can't thank you enough for coming on the podcast. And before I do my outro spiel, let's just real quickly recap our rankings. And I'll go first. I had Eternals at seven, six, I had Black Widow, five, Thor, Love and Thunder, four, Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness, three, Shang-Chi, Two Black Panther Wakanda Forever and then number one Spider Man No Way Home. All right. I guess I'll go next since I was uh I, I led the charge yeah. on these. Um number seven, Thor Love and Thunder, number six, uh Doctor Strange Multiverse of Madness, number five, Shang Chi, number four, Black Widow, number three, Black Panther Wakanda Forever, number two, Eternals. Yeah, baby. Number two, Eternals. And I will say, you mentioned Thomas, that Spider-Man No Way Home, your number one like ranked MCU movie, Eternals, number four, all-time MCU movie for me right here. If you want to talk Eternals, wow. get me on your pod. I'm the guy. <laughs> Let's do it. Uh, number one, Spider-Man, obviously. <laughs> oh, amazing. Amazing. Uh, JRB's rankings of phase four, number seven is going to be Thor, Love, and Thunder. Number six is going to be Eternals. Number five is Black Widow. Number four is Shang-Chi. Number three is Doctor Strange, Multiverse of Madness. It looks like I had that the highest out of anybody. And uh, number two is Black Panther, Wakanda Forever, as was for Thomas and Zach. And my number one is the obvious Spider-Man, No Way Home. Um, it is my turn to discuss these, uh, uh, recap these rankings. And I just, I love the fact that Zach and I had the exact same rankings. The difference is where Multiverse of Madness lands. For mm -hmm. me... It is very, it is number seven, uh, Doctor Strange Mom, a.k.a. Scarlet Witch in the Multiverse of Madness. Number six, Eternals. Number five, Black Widow. Number four, Thor 4, Love and Thunder. Number three, Shang-Chi. Number two, Wakanda Forever. And number one, No Way Home. Mm, what a flick. Wow, what a flick. Can't wow, thank we you guys enough for coming on the pod and where can everyone follow you after listening to this pod where can they follow you on social media yeah uh everybody can uh follow me on twitter at ethan simi that's like my personal twitter um i feel like i tweet some pretty funny movie memes but i i could be absolutely wrong so uh follow me on twitter and let me know uh you can find my podcast 24 minutes of a 24 wherever podcasts are available we're also on twitter and instagram Every week we tackle a new A24 project, my co-host Ben and I, and we're actually covering the Oscars right now. So we were doing um, 24 minutes of the Oscars for the next uh, five weeks. We're covering a new Best Picture nominee every single week leading up to 
the biggest night in Hollywood. Uh, yeah, go follow us. We're also on YouTube. Um, so that is, is super fun. Go uh, subscribe to us on there. Nice. Nice. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at JRV underscore direct. Um, you can also find the show that Thomas and I do called Light Thunder Action on Twitter at LTA Podcasting ING. Um, yeah, we, uh, we mainly live on Twitter, so find us there. Yes, you can find me uh, personally at TC Rochester Act. That is uh, TC R O C H E S T E R A C T on Twitter, Instagram, Linktree, etc. You can find uh, all my links to my film projects there. Uh, and then, of course, I also host another podcast called Reckless Rebellion. And you can find us on Twitter at R E C K L E S S R E B E L S. Currently going through the Bad Batch over there. And, uh, you know, we are under a month away from the Mandalorian, so it's going to be a very fun time. Uh, we actually just recorded time of recording today, right before hopped on here um, to do this amazing ranking. Zach, thank you so much for having me on and, and us. It's been an yes. absolute fun time. So much discourse. Yeah. And, and thank you, we Zach. all, we all, I, Welcome, I yeah. can't speak for everyone else. I had a blast. Hope, hope you guys come back. That's all I'll say. I hope you guys come back. We're going to have to do it again. <laughs> Will do. Anytime, anytime. <laughs> we got more episodes on the way, so follow and subscribe so you don't miss an episode. Our weekly Disney Plus series after shows will return in the spring with Scroll Season, a secret invasion after show podcast. We will also be covering Loki, Ironheart, Ant-Man and the Wasp, Quantumania, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3, the Marvels, and whatever else Marvel Studios throws at us in 2023, on top of even more bonus episodes, including rankings, previews, and whatever else we dream up. For more Marvel content, head over to BoardwalkTimes.net or follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at BoardwalkTimes. If you're listening to us on Apple Podcasts, please subscribe and leave us a five-star review.